Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 110 of Death Readers, the podcast where Rob and I discuss the books we're reading for the first time and share our thoughts and notes with each other. If this is your first time listening, we suggest reading The Legend of Dritz, book three, Sojourn, chapter 14 through part five, before listening to this episode. That way you too can follow along. I mean, I wouldn't suggest it. Do you have any housekeeping? I don't. I don't either. Let us jump into, then... Chapter 14, Montolio's Test. Summary. Montolio tricks Dritz into a duel to prove to the elf that he is not crippled to the point of pity. Dritz learns this lesson, and over the next ten days, the drow opens up to Montolio and shares his life story up to the slaughter at the Thistledown's farm. The two appear to grow closer, but the chapter ends with Montolio sending Hooter out with a message for a certain ranger in Sundabar. Do you have any notes? Yeah, I got some notes. I think this is where it really, I know I've said it before, but this time it really solidified for me that the fight was fine, the, the duel, the test, whatever between them, but I just really don't like Salvatore's writing. Mm-hmm. Because it, it just felt trite and cliche and just going back to that well of, oh, I've got a wry upper hand and I'm going to be ha-ha and oh no, the rug was pulled out from under me and and just over and over and kind of felt that way about this whole section of the book, but mm-hmm. this is where it started for me. And then I was a little sad that we were going to recap everything we'd already read again. And then I was excited I got to read the word McGr- McGristle again. Mm-hmm. Are you? I think you're jumping around at like the next chapter, in terms of notes. I don't think any of that happens. Oh, Montolio's I'll tell you test. What. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. <laughs> no, the recap happens here, Re- where he Re- starts. He starts recapping his life and telling. Sure, but I don't think I don't know if McGristle shows up in this chapter. McGristle, I, I, I. That's not. That wasn't my note. I was paraphrasing my okay. note badly. Uh, there is a. They do the whole like shadowy figure on the trail thing at the end. And I'm like, oh, is that McGristle? And so I wrote McGristle's back, and then I'm reading McGristle now. I'm like, oh, I get to read McGristle again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I I definitely get the the hero with the thousand faces feeling with this book where you feel like, or at least this section where it's like, okay, uh, he's got him. Dritz has to meet an old wizened wizard who teaches him how to be a person, and then that guy has to disappear so that he can cross the threshold of being an adult. Um, again, I I do think that like I I don't I, I have a feeling that like I don't think Salvatore is doing anything wrong if this is the first time you've experienced it. The problem is that like in in in, in like where you say that he's being cliche, I don't disagree, but I think again it's like he's just he's just baking an average cake I, I i agree with that uh it's not the first time i've experienced it it just felt particularly i don't know i i i was less inclined to just let it go without mm-hmm. mentioning it but i do agree that it's totally me not him and i guess i just i wasn't i wasn't in the mood for average well, cake sometimes that- you can just skip dessert well, that might be part of the thing about like reading these books. I was like, that's how I felt with, with Harry Potter. A lot of the time was like this. This is just definitely written for someone who is younger than I am, who is, who hasn't yet been jaded by overexposure to art, or storytelling. I don't consider myself jaded. I'm not suggesting you are. I'm. I'm. I'm oh, literally okay. talking about myself. <laughs> I literally said <laughs> I, I used I statements. Um, <laughs> I, it's, I mean, it's just you so used weird I statements you to too. In. To, to uh, uh, describe me though, since we were talking about me. No, I was commiserating and saying that I also have these feelings. I, I feel. Like, are you are you listening to what I'm talking? Because that's what I was saying, and then I was explaining from my own perspective how I was feeling. Fair enough. Um, and and so like, I like I think about things like uh, books from my childhood and like things that I read as a kid and feeling like they were great and interesting. But I, you know, I have this feeling if I went back and read them now, it wouldn't feel that way. And, and so again, I think that this is just a more of a fault of we are not in the demographic that these books are for. Mm-hmm. And if we were, they may hold magic and wonder for us 
that I am at this point, I'm finding it so sparsely. It's, it's, it's like reading these books is like, it feels like panning for gold. Like I really want to find a nugget, a mother load. Yeah. I want to find something that's spectacular and wonderful and valuable. And I end up walking away with flakes of gold dust there. I'm like, I feel like there's, this is reminiscent of something great. Yes. But yeah, it isn't itself. Some of the ideas he's conveying are fantastic. The things he has to say about, you know, the 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 blind man's disability. Fantastic. I yeah. Uh, I took issue with that whole thing too, though. Okay. Like, How so? Well, I, at this point, like finally getting into his experiences with Montolio, it was like suddenly I just started having this rush of remembering all these the 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 trope of the blind master. Like oh, sure. I just started having this huge rush of like Zadoichi. Zadoichi, you have like absolutely Zadoichi. You have like uh, obviously Daredevil, uh, who himself is a reference to those kind of things. Um, R- Rucker Hauer, you know, Blind Fury. Uh, the, uh, Stick also, I think, mm-hmm. in, in the Daredevil mythos. And then you have like the the character again. This it just became this thing where I realized, oh, this is, and I think it, it hit me more in Rogue One, where they have the same character of this, you know blind master who can you know use the force even though he's not a jedi to he's force sensitive to yeah. be to be to overcome his disability and then i i remember at that when watching that movie feeling like oh this is this is honestly feels a little exploitative it's it's like it's like that thing if you watch documentaries about like stan lee or like the early days of marvel he talks about feeling like he, being concerned that actual uh like like blind people would be offended by the concept of Daredevil because he was having this character do things that they couldn't possibly do mm-hmm. is how I think he put it in these interviews that I remember. I can't remember where it's from. It might be from like mutants and monsters or something like that, or any of the like early two thousands DVD extra features from any of the Marvel movies, probably specifically Daredevil. Sure. Um, but he, uh, he talks about that and then he, he tells a story about like, how he got a a letter from some organization representing blind people in the United States saying that they loved the story and they loved the character and how great it was. And like, especially in retrospect, like as I've gotten older and learned more about how much of a huckster Stan Lee was, it certainly brings into question the validity of that story or the possibility of the validity of that story. And makes me wonder, like, it's such an interesting, like, it makes me wonder like how like people with visual disabilities or impairments feel about this, like this trope that this comes up. And, and I wonder like if that's a thing that feels like exploitative, like, or like, like tokenish or even like, just, I don't know. I'm very curious to see if, like, if somebody has any, if there's anyone out there who has problems with it, because it certainly feels like you're turning a very real impairment into something magical, which feels like, no, I see what you're saying. Yeah, there's there's a million instances of that. Certainly the magical character who represents a walk of life is often lauded as exploitative, and this seems like another example of that. Yeah, and it it, it certainly lacks a lot of, like, it it, it, uh, it makes me feel, you know, not I don't know if bad's the right word, but I'm I suddenly am flush with awareness that what I'm reading could upset someone. Well, I'll and, tell you what. Oh, sorry. Oh, and, and like that, and then there in that way, I feel sort of like a phantom offense. Well, let, let me. I, I'll tell you what. You've given me something to consider. <laughs> Interesting. And perhaps, perhaps I didn't even like what he had to say because I wasn't thinking too deeply about it. Well, I mean, I was just thinking the things he had to say were like, "Hey, man, don't discount me." And it's like, yeah, that's that's. If you're, if you're using Montolio as a representation of like people with disabilities, that's an absolutely fine narrative like don't discount these people or, or, or people who with with perceived disabilities that's the way i think he's trying to illustrate right. it right. but like in the way this one went it also falls in line with a long tradition of a very specific trope that at least for me is quite played out mm. and feels more than empowering feels like tone deaf or feels like Maybe it's because his specific issue is so uh, overused that that's what gets me. It's like, I just don't care. I just don't care that 
we have another Zadoichi. We have another any of those characters who exist out there. We have a big Infinity War with all the blind warriors. <laughs> or Mortal Kombat. Sure. <laughs> um, then we can see who's the best and we'll just refer to them from now on. I mean, it would be Zadoichi, right? Like, I mean, he's pretty sweet. I don't know, Daredevil, man. He's pretty cool. Yeah, but he's a ripoff. Sadoichi's the OG. I don't know if he is. But it also reminded me of, like, the. it sort of, like, it, it struck me as similar to, like, the drunken master concept, too. Like, this idea of, like, again, you're talking about someone who you can perceive as disabled or perceive as, like, out of, like, like not fully together. Someone you can take advantage of. And I think that's another part of it that bums me out, is it always relies on this idea of, like, oh, remember, you can take advantage of the disabled. <laughs> it, I mean... I, the, with the drunken master, I thought the idea was that you're putting on a show so they purposely underestimate you, and that gives you an edge. Yeah, I'm talking about the I, the idea of the similarity is this is a person who I can take advantage of for whatever reason you can take advantage of them. Oh, I mean, like, sure, but I mean, well, so again, what, what's your problem then? Just humanity because they are no my, my, to take advantage. My problem is, is the suggestion that is the appeal to that instinct to take advantage of the vulnerable and then to suggest through magic that these vulnerable people might not be so vulnerable. That is a, that's like saying, actually, there's no hope for these people who are vulnerable. There's like, because magic isn't real. So I'm not going to go out of my way to come up with a real solution to protect them or give them empowerment. I'm going to instead suggest a magical, unreal solution to a very real problem. And I'm going to take this opportunity to revel in my inclusivity by reminding you that I wrote a story with a blind character. And it feels like that is, that's the problem I have. (laughs) I see. Yeah. Um, and so this just comes up like that for me. Like, and, and even to the point, like, like in this, I think it's this chapter, or maybe it's later, but the one where he's like, yeah, it might come up later, but this whole, I like, thing where he's like, you should have known because of the Falcon or whatever. And it was, and then essentially, and then Dritz is like, no, that's bullshit. There's no way you could have known that. And Montolio's like, <laughs> you're right. I was fucking with you. And then it's like, what? What is the what am I supposed to get out of this? Like he was trying to see just how deep his his prejudice or his assumptions ran. But to the point of like trusting him? Like I don't understand how that's a prejudice. Like <laughs> he 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 spun a story to see if Dritz would buy it and Dritz wasn't. He's like, "Okay, good job. You're not a total idiot." Yeah, I guess. Anyway, um <laughs> I don't have anything else to say about that chapter. No, I definitely don't. All right, let's move on to Chapter 15, A Shadow Over Sanctuary. Uh, Summary, Dritz and Montolio grow closer, but their friendship is tested by Roddy McGristle's surprise arrival. McGristle shares his side of the Thistledown slaughter with Montolio, who sends Roddy on a wild dragon chase. But the menacing sprite from earlier intercepts McGristle and shows him that the ranger is harboring his prey. Uh, I do have notes in this chapter. I have but one note, and it's about uh, the old man. So if you have my same note, you can bring it up if you like. Oh, I'm, I'll am i just go first. Okay. I am. I was really upset that mm-hmm. Montolio is Mushi. That's my only note. Um, I had basically cast Snarf as Mushi in yeah, my head. Me too. And I was just waiting for the book to tell me how I was wrong, but I would take those new details with stride and say, yeah. okay, well, I will I will bait, you know, swap it all out until I have whatever Mushi. Oh, it's, it's, it's just It's a Montelio. character we already fucking know. For, for, for three chapters now. For three chapters. This is bullshit. And, uh, yeah, it's a real fucking letdown. Uh, and I don't think it's just because, I mean... You know what? It is probably just because I had fun with the idea that it could be something cool. And then sure. to be like, no, nah, just some people call me that sometimes. And it's like, why? What is this? Like, why is this part of it? I don't understand. Why does he do this? Like, why does he write like this? Like, and then I my here's what I actually wrote, which I'm going to read verbatim okay. because I actually, because it, because again, I wrote this at this point in the note taking. What a fucking letdown. What a fucking disgrace. I hope he dies. I hope <laughs> I hope McGristle 
Obi-Wan's his ass and murders him in front of Drizzt. And so we get, mm, for the most part, we get that. But, like, I'm glad that he's, I'm, I'm very grateful that this character is no longer a part of this story. Right. By the end of these chapters. He certainly didn't uh, ever earn his nickname, the nickname that was spoken of with reverence, because Dritz never knew him as that long enough. Right. Uh, having his name on the map, or his nickname on the map, that was yeah. all crap. Yeah. It, it was... It, it felt like uh, it felt lazy. It mm-hmm. felt really lazy, like a, a lazy bait and switch that I think we, we unfortunately built up really big for ourselves. <laughs> I mean, it's not just Snarf to understand. It's not just Snarf. No. There, a character, there's precedence for this kind of character or the kind right. that I wanted. Right. Uh, in the Black Cauldron, there's Gurgi, you know, the little fun, obnoxious, but heartbreaking character and others. <laughs> um, Jar Jar Binks. No, no, he uh, uh, a character that everyone loves, yeah, and is silly and obnoxious. I, 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 I don't like it. Stop helping. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Um, yes, very disappointing. I I had to watch Mushi die twice. Yeah, that's how it feels. in my heart and in the book. Right. So yeah, fuck that. That was uh, trash. It's certainly going to color the rest of my opinions about this story because I had looked so forward to the appearance of this Mushi character, whoever it may be, in whatever way it may be, and it was fucking dog shit. Um, okay. Uh, so that's your only note. I have one more note. Okay. And this is kind of a it's kind of a big one, so I'm just gonna read it verbatim. Uh, I think. So, in this chapter, Dritz learns which races are evil from Montolio. This sentence, a sentence like that, learning which races are evil, uh, sounds grim when you think about it literally. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think that the metaphor of evil races in Dungeons & Dragons is much more about judging groups or cultures by their collective practices and character while always allowing for the individual the opportunity to prove themselves as decent and kind before casting judgment. That's the whole metaphor Dritz embodies. He's sure. the, the drow who recognizes the evil of his world and rejects them and suffers prejudice and bigotry because of it, but for the kindness of those that did not judge him by his race, but by his actions. And every time that happens, Dritz and the person he's befriending are rewarded with deep and meaningful friendships. For example, I find it abhorrent that some... This is a real-world example... I find it abhorrent that some fishermen skirt international laws and slaughter whales for sale in fish markets in Japan. Uh, as as a person who values the lives of whales and, and like endangered uh, animal life, it disgusts me and colors my impression of Japan as a nation that would foster such practices. Mm-hmm. But I hold no ill will to any Japanese person or any people of Japanese descent because of their culture's whaling practices, or their country's, right. excuse me, their country's whaling practices. Unless this person is specifically a person who's, who knowingly hunts and harvests whales, and then, yeah, uh, judgment based on your actions. And I feel like that's, again, like, the, like it's like that strange sort of way of saying, listen, it's not necessarily, like, some uh, like it's okay i guess and it feels like the book's kind of trying to say like listen you can build generalizations <laughs> like you can have certain generalizations uh up to a point right that i kind of i kind of agree with that concept like i kind of agree that it's it, you know shit's complex right sometimes thinking is hard do your work right but it it i, I just kind of wanted to address it because i've heard other people talk about how Specifically, Dritz and Dungeons and Dragons has a problem with race. In that, how do you like because like Dritz has black skin and mm-hmm. his people are evil in the narrative, and that that idea sounds like it could very easily be like transferred into the real world and being like, oh, well, that's just fucking racist. What a what a thin veil of racism that is. Right. And I don't I don't really see that. I guess I don't see that as being the thing it do, it doesn't feel like that that's what has been set out to do if anything again it feels like it's a story about being a being a person who's 
again, the subject of that kind of thinking right. who's struggling against it, which feels like it is empowering. Like that's how it feels like to me, like a person, a, a person who's judged by the color of their skin and, and their, and things like that, who is earnestly fighting against that, those prejudices to make good in the world and find his place. Right. So I don't know, like, you know, I'm open to being uh, called out for being like tone deaf or something. I'm always open. I want to learn about being better at this sort of thing, but like, it reminds me a lot of like the Falcon and winter soldier show where like, that's, that's essentially the same, similar to like Sam's arc in that show of like feeling like he doesn't want to be like, he feel like he has a, he's torn between two, like, you know, uh, identities or two responsibilities. Ideals. Yeah. Sure. And, and he, uh, and that they're, they're at conflict and at odds and then having to like, basically like, listen, I just want to be the best me I can be and represent every aspect of who I am the best I can. And I feel like that's similar to what Drift is doing, which I like. It's a great note. Thanks. <laughs> I have no more notes. Okay. At all? Uh, on that chapter. Okay. Well, then let's move on. Part four, resolutions. Summary. What am I even supposed to say about this? Drift says some pseudo-philosophical sh- shit and then insists evil creatures cannot sing? Uh, ever heard of sirens? There's a variety of singing monsters in the plethora of cultures and future <laughs> Dritz sucks. Uh, n- nothing. Not even, not even that. So for, for me, no notes. So that's a, that's a good point. Dritz is an asshat. He's so fucking dumb. Like. Maybe it's like a metaphorical kind of singing, like touching your soul. What about like the fucking, I guess it's not singing. It just feels like. It just feels fucking wrong. Like, the witches in Hocus Pocus sing. <laughs> You're not wrong. Deal Frank with Frankenfurter sings. Yeah. Well, he's not really a monster, is he? Well, well he's evil, though. I thought that's what he's we were doing. A, he's an alien, and now I feel like you're being xenophobic. Well, I walked into that one. <laughs> uh. <laughs> You're just saying you can't trust him and you want to see his papers. Wow. Wow, Rob, I can't believe you said that. Saying. (laughs) Ironically, one of the few (laughs) uh, aliens who voluntarily wants to go home, as evidenced by the song he sings. I want to go home? Yeah, that one. (laughs) Um, Whatever. Uh, (laughs) Fuck that shit, I'm done with it. Uh, What else do you have? Nothing. I mean, his mission was a failure. His lifestyle too severe. I'm a new commander. You now are my prisoner. Return to Transylvania. Mm. Um. All right. Prepare I'm... the B. Sorry, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't now do I just, that. Now I just want to watch it. <laughs> um. <laughs> all right. Well, then, if you have nothing else to say, that about brings us to his self-reflective twaddle. Chapter sixteen. Of gods and purpose. Summary. Montolio shares his divine insights with Dritz to develop some more complex perspective on gods. Meanwhile, Roddy McGristle plots with the Orc King to kill the Ranger and the Drow. Do you, do you have anything to say about this? Um, I kinda, Again, I felt like it was interesting. Again, like if you're looking at this book as something that appeals to young people who are going through the world for the first time sure. and are experiencing things like crises of faith, doubt yeah. in divinity, um, you know, those things, it it also stands to reason that I, I've experienced people who've done that and then walked away with more metaphysical perspectives on religion and existence, which is what this feels like. It feels like we start with Dritz being like, gods are dumb. I don't fucking get it. Fuck them. And then someone being like, don't you understand? God, the thing you call God was really in you all along. It's your own personal self uh, sense of righteousness and your own tenets and you know whatever it's just it's just basically metaphysics is just an excuse to say just do whatever you want and say it's divine and that's and that's how like again i think that's what appeals to those people is they the people who don't like 
real established religions are really just upset. They, they have, in my perspective, it's like they have this problem with two things. One, authority. And okay. two, um, they have a problem with uh, mortality. So in order to get around <laughs> those two problems, they uh, only rely on what they, they decide is right because who has a higher authority than them. And then because they're also afraid to die, they'll insist that there's some sort of grander significance to the, the, uh, sense of value they feel for themselves <laughs> and their existence. So, you know what? Maybe I'm divine. Maybe I'm, I'm part of this larger thing. That makes me feel better. I can charge towards the void, uh, you know, wide eyed and, and smiling. And it's just like, yeah, or, or, you know, what you're describing is, self-delusional narcissistic denial but you call it (laughs) metaphysics you call it god go for it and that's what i feel like montolio's doing (laughs) like think about it he's walking around there going like i'm not just blind i'm the best bang bang like um (laughs) i can shoot i can shoot anything out of the sky and kill whatever i know that there's a fox standing in front of me and I could talk to it with my mind. And, you know, uh, there's a, there's a, a snake in my boot and there's a, there's a fucking bridge over there. I know everything. You should probably deal with the snake. Also, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna die, but I'm not afraid of it because I've decided that I have a God who has a silly name and she is the forest. I, I'm not reading this wrong, am I? Me Licky? I think it's like May or Maya. Me. I think it's Me Likey. Me Likey. Wow. I I don't remember. I didn't write it down ever. Um, do you have an idea where it would be in the book so I could go I mean, I wrote it. it down. I guess it's in this chapter 17. Yeah, it sure is. I think it was M-E-I-L-I-K-K-I. That can only be me likey. Yeah, but remember, this guy doesn't care about how things are pronounced. He just likes to throw letters in orders. Oh, so it's probably... It's probably, like, Francis. Dashel. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly because I just want to see... Because, again, like, every time some bullshit word like that shows up, I just gla- gloss over it and move on. It's funny. It's I like your perspective on that. Uh, I did not... I, I definitely felt it was more... It's perspective on what? I, on 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 the religion, mm. on Montolio's religion and his ideas about religion and gods. Um, I definitely felt there was more of an agenda, but that's usually how I approach religions. So I thought uh, it it was more along the lines of, "Hey, man, religion's just whatever. So come join mine." I, th- I think that uh, I, th- I think yours is more realistic. Sorry. Well, I think I think that's uh, yeah. Thank you. I think that Salvatore's intention was for this to be a lot like the blind test. I think it was supposed to be a lesson about how letting Dritz know how little he really knows, and maybe he shouldn't be so quick to judgment or dismiss things because maybe he's just been experiencing it all along. Maybe it's a lesson in don't shut yourself up from experiences just because you had a bad one once. In this case, he had nothing but decades of bad experiences with the only God he ever knew about. And therefore fuck them all. That's terrible. And I feel like that's again, I feel like as a part of a metaphor for metaphysics, I feel like that's what Salvatore is suggesting. Like, yeah, maybe you come from a Baptist or a Catholic raising or, or, or life uh, upbringing. That's the word I was trying to use have found problems in the dogma Mm -hmm. or in the practices of your faith. And so you have, you were at your crisis of faith point and maybe instead of just going back to the church or the practices that you have problems with, maybe think about how these things are all human constructs anyway, that are representative of, of like deeper cosmic truths. And that's like the level where for me, where it jumps the shark of rationale to becomes like just more like, you know, a uh, baseless spiritual conjecture and nonsense where you're like, I've heard people talk about like, you know, we're all just part of this larger force. We all are part of this, you know, this, uh, universal force that I it surrounds that, us and binds yeah, us to all living things that I call God. But you yeah. know, it's, I don't believe it's a real person. And it's like, 
then why call why call this ambiguous, nebulous, unreal thing anything? Like Unless why you're making a species argument to get me to agree with you in a roundabout way, so you can say, "Aha, I got another one." Yeah, yeah. Or or so you can feel like I I because I, I doubt it. I don't even think it's like I got another one. I think it's these people who were teetering on the edge of their own disbelief, mm. and I think that for them, convincing others makes them feel like they. Can, they have more of a foundation than they do. Well, they can further push down their self doubts. Okay. They can they can they can smother them more. The more people they have around them can like agreeing with them. It's like mass delusion. So uh, it's it's <laughs> I think it's the same principle behind why speaking in tongues is a thing. It's because like you're around enough people who convince you this is normal, <laughs> and why not? like lose self-control and like flap around like a person having a stroke saying nonsense. And then everyone around you goes, good job. You helped us <laughs> like, f- you helped, f- uh, you know, Im- strengthen and, and steal our, all of our mass delusions. We're, we're so happy. I feel like it's the same thing but on, on like a less theatrical scale when it comes to things like this, when it comes to that sort of like religious coercion that, people who especially especially the metaphysical crowd like to push when they're like no man i don't believe in organized religion either i just have my own thing and i would really like it if you could tell me i was right <laughs> so uh fuck montolio for ever so many reasons um <laughs> but not because he's blind no that's like the least yeah anyway I'm done with that chapter. Are you done with that chapter? I'm so done with that chapter. Let's move on to... Chapter 17, Outnumbered. Summary. Dritzt and Montolio prepare for the battle against the Orc King by setting traps all around the Ranger's Grove. News of the coming battle reaches Kilindil and his band of elves. Will they aid the Drow and his forest friends in their battle against the Orc Army? We'll find out next. <laughs> I think I like this chapter more than I like the next chapter. I agree with you. There is. A, I don't think I liked any chapter after this one. I liked the descriptions of how they were setting traps and like the planning and everything. I do wish I had a better detailed map of Mushi's Grove so I could visualize what the fuck they were talking about. Like... Why would it be so obvious that they would come from the north? Why would it be so suicidal to come from the west or whatever? You know, like any of that stuff just didn't. I couldn't. See, that shit didn't. It. That shit didn't even matter to me. I just assumed like, okay, the 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 what the south and the west have these things going against them, so they're coming from the north. Moving on. Yeah. Because you know, just. Oh, I did too. I'm saying literally just visualizing it because I knew this chapter was the the preamble to a chapter where all of that visual information was going to be very important. Yeah. But I'm saying get it when I got knowing that was coming, when I got there, I didn't care. I was reading right. words. Right. It's just even... like this orc gets hit by arrow and then everything around it's just this Gaussian blur, like it, it, not really it, a place. <laughs> it would have made as much sense if he had said, uh, they're going to come from direction because direction is bad. And I'm like, right. okay, that that's how I was. That's how I was reading these. Uh, I, I made one of my famous wrong predictions. Whoa. Uh, I thought, I thought this chapter was foreshadowing Hooter's death. Oh. I'm like, oh, Hooter gonna die. Wow. Hooter did not die? Well, probably eventually died. Not in the chapters I read. No, not in these chapters so far. And then my only other note here is, Maga Kamara, now they offer to translate insults? Hey, Maga Kamara, way to go. That's a good, I was, that's a good pull. I was I was actually disappointed in myself that I could remember it. I'm wow! Like, God damn it, that's taken up room in my head, rent free. <laughs> Maga Kamara, I know what Maga Kamara suggests, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> but then the other thing means stupid blockhead, which I guess really gets a giant's blood pumping, which is good because it's got to go up his huge neck. They've got. They, you have to imagine they have enormous hearts. Oh, huge. Or what if they have really thin blood? Interesting. Or like so, blood's thicker than water unless you're a giant. Unless you're a giant, is there a liquid that's thinner than water? Well, let's discuss what 
thin in thickness and liquid suggest? Are we talking specifically about viscosity or are we talking something else? Well, first of all, viscosity, is that how thick it is or is that how slippery it is? Uh, I think it's how thick it is. Okay, then I always assumed thickness meant viscosity because blood is more viscous than water. Yeah. So you're asking, is there anything like less viscous than water? Yes. I don't know. Alcohol, maybe? It feels pretty... No, well, I mean... I'm talking like rubbing alcohol, like pure alcohol. But again, I think you're talking about the feel, and that's not what viscosity... Viscosity has to do with, like, it's a... I don't know about you, but I use my senses to explore the world around me, such as touch, to see how thick something is. Yeah, again, I guess guess my perspective on viscosity has much more to do about, like, how it moves on surfaces. Um, So if you Like my hand? No, like, on a flat surface. Like, if you had taffy like mm. that has a, a, a high viscosity right because it's like mm-hmm. it, it it if you let it drip it would slowly drip but if you had water it would just it would just run um we're talking about like on an inclined plane here sure yeah okay. or, or like hanging over an edge like if you sure. if you if you poured water on it i mean this is all i'm not I, i'm showing my ignorance but like if you if you poured water on a tree bough it would just spill all over it. But if you put a thing of like taffy on it, it would slowly bend and slowly drip and slowly fall down. Now, maybe, maybe taffy itself isn't actually a liquid. So maybe I'm using the wrong, a wrong substance here, but let's say honey. It's a fluid. Hun- I would call liquid taffy a fluid. Right. Uh, honey might be a better sure. example. Um, sure. Now, whether or not high viscosity relates to high stickiness, I don't know. I don't but- think so. We could also you could just... have like a gravy that's not sticky at all. Lists oh, look at you. Stickity. It says sticky right here. Viscosity. Uh, the quality or state of being viscous, a sticky or glutinous consistency. Well, look at you. For instance, honey has a much higher viscosity than water. Here, yeah, here it is. The mathematical ratio of the tangential frictional force per unit area to the velocity gradient perpendicular to the direction of flow of a liquid. Because that's... Oh, called also the coefficient of velocity, viscosity, excuse me. That's, I think that's what I was really thinking of, which is like the second, second definition. And then viscous, having a thick or sticky consistency. See, I feel like scrolling all through Wikipedia's chart, I've got substances of variable composition uh, in order of viscosity, whole milk, olive oil, canola oil, sunflower oil, honey, ketchup, peanut butter, pitch, but they don't tell me what's less than maybe water is the less than maybe it's the maybe it's like the absolute zero of viscosity many small hydrocarbons have lower viscosities than water hexane for example i don't even know what that is i don't either i think it's i think it's witch sauce what does that mean well because in german uh which is hexa oh or hexen hexon for hexon. hexon for plural i believe um i think it's hexa for singular, could be wrong, but so hexane was clearly witch sauce. Yeah, that's about plural witches. Mm-hmm. That's wait, isn't that, is that German? No, this is Swiss. Oh, so that's why it's Hoxon instead of Hexen. Well, that's why I said Hoxon. Fine. Where are we? How do we get there? Oh, German. We're talking about drowning languages. witches to see how viscous they are, right? Right. Okay. If you're more viscous than a duck, you're not a witch. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, uh, you know, this is a fine chapter. Is whatever, fine, whatever. All right, let's move on. That was a hell of a digression. Chapter 18, The Battle of Mushi's Grove. First, at this point, I feel like calling him Mushi is like, it's an insult. Look, I didn't it, want to say it, but fucking, it is the title. It's fucking salt in a wound. and Because like, he's is. never earned that name. Why ever include it, you fucking hack. Okay. Um, <laughs> Man, it it was one off. One character called him hit once. And the yes. character we don't even like. Yes. Shit, that was shit. The bad guy who used a term we're supposed to believe is a term only good friends use. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> okay, anyway. Summary. I found this chapter to be a barely decipherable collection of action scenes. 
Mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of them were cool and would look great in an animated show, but I couldn't comprehend what was happening most of the time. In the end, Dritz, Montolio, and uh, Guinevere survived the battle and drove the Orc King to his survi- uh, and his surviving army back. The evil sprite lost a foot and might not be so quick after the battle. The scary winter wolf Kerouac is dead, and Roddy McGristle may have been killed. Oh, excuse me, may have been killed by Kalindal, who did lend lend a hand. Uh, yeah, a, a whole bunch of fucking action happens in this chapter, and it's hard to understand what's happening and the stuff that does happen also feels like why would that happen like why how is it that that guinevere was able to so chiefly dispatch so many wargs and the winter wolf and all this other shit like i I, because she ran up a tree then jumped down outside of them while they were still barking up the tree they're bar they're literally barking at the wrong tree at that point but it was also the right tree anyway at that point um it felt like he was writing mm, let me no let me back up it felt like he thought he was writing the last third act of predator Mm-hmm. With the traps and the hunting and the fighting and the, it was not interesting. I mean, they're booby traps, and it was not interesting. I like some of them. I felt like some of them were imaginative, like the idea of like, oh, as a ranger, I've been stealing uh, bear traps from the woods so that animals will not get in them. But now I and I have a a huge collection of old bear traps that I can now use to my to defend my stronghold. I, I thought that I... was pretty cool. I guess I like that, but it, every time they opened it up, it made me very anxious that some animal, like they'd miss one after the battle and some animal would come tromping through and get totally caught and wouldn't even, no one would be along to put it out of its misery because they would have moved on from that. I don't know. I just, I didn't like the inclusion of the bear traps at all. Oh, wow. Well, I, I like oh. them. I thought it was the, I genuinely thought it was one of the only understandable and clever ideas. Sure. Everything else felt like something I'd seen many times before. And specifically, the bear traps felt like something a ranger. It felt like in line with the ranger's character, specifically Montolio's character, uh, as a beastmaster. And right. um, it felt like a really clever way to say, like, oh, I'm as another like thing, like as a person who lives off nature, I'm repurposing this thing that I'm not going to just throw away. I'm going to reuse it so that we can, when it, whenever the time is appropriate. Um, all, almost everything else I did not understand and didn't make sense. I don't know why he bent the trees in half. Like oh, I, I think it was like because he had nets going between them. You know those movies where they have where somebody steps in the loop and it snaps them upside down? Right. But then they always cut to like a, a solid oak branch holding them up? Yeah. That's not how that's going to work. You're going to bend a tree down to make that's the spring. The bending of the tree, like a small willowy tree, is going to be what yanks you upside down. So you pull okay. the tree down and you put the stake in so the loop's there. You step in the loop, knock the stake out, the tree is released, and it brings you up with it. I, I guess I, I, I've only seen this ever in cartoons. It, it's, 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 it's one of the ways to make a snare. They're making it for human-sized people, so you have to use a big tree. But not like a – I mean like, like a like – a, like a birch, something bendy and and whippy, not something right, right. solid like an oak or a pine. Right. It it, it, Still, it made sense to me, and I I kind of enjoyed him like bungee jumping off. Sure. But eh, that that yeah, was more uh, fun than the battle. <laughs> or or the like or the the boat full of booze that he sets on fire, and I I had a hard time visualizing how that was working, or like that didn't how, make a lot of sense. How big are the wargs? Like, are they, are they wolf size or are they like horse size? Probably closer to dire wolves, which is bigger than a wolf. I don't know. I don't know, man. You're asking questions. Look, if you tuned in, listener, <laughs> if you tuned in to hear our, our blow by blow battle recap of the battle for Mushi's Grove, I'm sorry. Because it was a lot of confusion and tedium. Yeah. If you want to, if you wanted that, just read the chapter. Like, cause that <laughs> good luck. That's what that is. It's all right. Well, that was, and the problem, the real problem is that was a huge chunk of this episode. It really was. was that, that fight was so many pages and so much content that was just, it just felt like rambling. Mm-hmm. I don't, I think maybe, maybe once or twice I actually feared for someone's life and then it didn't matter. And like, like the, the sign, the moment where the, uh, orcs 
free themselves from their snare or net or whatever they were in. And they throw their spears into the globe of darkness that Mushi had with his shield. Yeah. And it, and, and it said one of them hit something hard like the shield and then the yeah. other one hit something soft. But then Mushi steps out of a tree somewhere else and kills them both. And goes to and pick up the like, shield. So what did it fucking hit? I don't fucking know. I I don't know. And that's what I mean. Like, it was so strange. And then, and then literally to have him just fall, like, die in his sleep later. Yeah. Where it's like, I mean, I'm not saying I wanted him to die in a heroic fashion, but, like, it felt like a, it felt like a uh, <laughs> impotent attempt at a, at scaring me that he might die. So that I could, so I could feel like, oh my god, he might die. Oh my god, I love having Mushi around. Oh, thank God, Mushi's okay. And then he dies like the next chapter. Like yeah. it felt like, why, why, why even set that up as like the tease when you're just you are going character. to kill him? The way he goes around seeing Mush all the time. <laughs> See, that would have broken my heart. Like if right? if that if if that Mushi character did die. Like if he, that's if the only he reason people hate Jar Jar Binks is because Lucas never killed him off. If 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 Jar Jar had had a, had actually sacrificed himself, oh my god, I think people would have a different perspective on him. Mm-hmm. All right, next, <laughs> chapter nineteen, separate ways. Uh, misleading chapter title. Uh, summary. Uh, Tifanis frees Roddy McGristle from Kalindil's bonds, and the human bounty hunter strangles the elf to death before venturing out to the Wild West with the Quickling. Drizzt learns his final lessons from Montolio before the ranger dies, and Drizzt is forced to move on from his mentor's grove. When I meant by it's a misleading title is it's sort of the concept of going going your separate ways suggest that each of you departs like all of your own volition and like two like better things well fucking montolio just dies <laughs> like he went his separate he went on to better things i mean maybe he, it's a suggestion that roddy mcgristle went a separate way but again that that concept that turn of phrase has much more to do with two people who were formerly close sure deciding to to part and I don't that, that I that's not what happened. Even even if you want to get all like fancy about what death is and etc., it's not what happened. I mean, it's kind of what happened. He didn't uh, go anywhere. He fucking died. He stayed Mon- exactly where he was the entire time. Mon- Montolio's spirit went on, man. And and you are what I gather is you want me to confirm that I agree with you so you can feel safer in your own beliefs that that's what actually happened. And I'm not going to do that because that's enabling delusion. <laughs> <laughs> fine well then my note would be i was really unhappy that mcgristle killed kalindil yeah me too i thought that was a complete waste i was really even though he was so sparsely used i thought he'd at least get a chance to reconnect with dritz and be like i was a dick to you and even though i've helped you you know off radar i just want you to know that we i, I kind of get you now or or anything. I'm like I'm like this this is a character I could see more. Oh no, he's just going to strangle him? He didn't even knock him out and run. Fuck this book. Yeah, I, I feel like maybe Salvatore is trying to suggest to us this that death in this world is relatively frequent and also meaningless. And I think that as if you're talking about a real world, yeah, dark and accurate, but this is a fantasy novel. Yeah. <laughs> maybe use the maybe orchestrate complex narratives to the point where deaths mean something yes like and and maybe maybe the freedom of Roddy McGristle and Tifanis is significant later but right now it feels like it felt cheap and unnecessarily expedient i feel like the only thing that the death of Kalindal will have later is to make uh, to 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 give was it Dove Falcon Claw? Yeah, Dove Falcon what? Hand. Falcon Hand. It'll give Dove Falcon Hand her. Oh shit! You done fucked up now. Moment. Yeah, because he was how my will elf. She know? And uh, it'll come out, or they'll find the body, or 
Tefan, they'll try to blame that one on Dritz, and so they can do this whole dance again in the next couple of chapters. Which will also be swept under the rug, where they'll be like, oh, then we found Roddy McGristle drunk in a pub somewhere, and he was bragging to his cellmate that he's killed the banker's wife. Bullshit. Mm-hmm. I know. I just... I'm not saying the book couldn't be episodic in nature and have like these four short novellas that make up the structure of it, but they've been very unsatisfying, these three. Well, I say three because they feel like, like certainly this felt like an end of a book moment and there's still a fourth to go. Well, they fifth. All, the fifth, sure. They all directly relate to one another, but... Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I I'll, I'm I still stand by that I think this would be a completely enjoyable and passable adventure television series. I'm not disagreeing with you because you're going to have other people tweaking it until it's good. Well, and you're going to be able to do it faster. You're sure. going to be able to run through a part or however much you're going to be able to do in an hour, 45 minutes, whatever. And you'll be able to relax and allow the splendor of the visuals, which is what something like this would need to rely on to get you over the bad writing mm-hmm. or the like lackluster. Or the, yeah. Maybe that's a better word. Like just like, yeah. Thrillless uh, <laughs> writing. It's, it's, it's more like, I, I, I don't think of it as, as, serialized or episodic like I would find like Voltron or sure. a maybe this Master of the Universe series like there there this story is isn't like what what's Homer going to get up to tonight it's more like it is it's it is its own like Game of Thrones or or, or Lord of the Rings like arcs right um and journey but like I I think that you would get a lot of the work that's done on our end for reading the stuff that's boring and nonsense that he has to put in there to build this world would just wash over us if we were watching it on a sh- on a series. I hope I hope Hasbro gets their shit together and license this to somebody as a as an animated series because I genuinely think it would be in- it would be fun to watch. I think it would be engaging and I think it it has potential to be like successful if it's done right. Mm-hmm. But I I've been, I feel like I've been hearing about this Magic the Gathering show or whatever they were supposed to do with the Russos for a long time, and it hasn't happened yet. And maybe their animation division is far too kid-centric, like Transformers and My Little Pony is way more actually child-centric, and this stuff has murder in it and death and a, a sister trying to fuck her brother. So... Uh, again, maybe like an Amazon Prime <laughs> animated series, you know, like Invincible. Like if you take it up to, which I have not seen and don't want to see, but if you like, if you take it to that level, I think it has that kind of potential. I think I got two episodes in. Yeah. Uh, I will say from May 20th of this year, there's an article, Dungeons and Dragons TV show may focus on iconic character Dritzt. From who? What's the, uh, the source? Uh, comicbook.com. Okay. Uh, I also will say that the animated short Legend of Dritzt that they have has him with this sort of ivory purple skin. Mm hmm. Instead of black skin. What's going on? What's that about? That's not okay. That's not okay. Um, I mean, that sounds like what is the cover sort of looks like to me on this book. He's not like super. Is it not supposed to be black skin? I mean, I think it's supposed to be purplish. That's that's what this looks like on all my stuff. But I, I don't know, man. I I think he's described as having black skin. I think that... I don't know. Okay. You just have to let the artist and whoever it is, like, do what they're going to do. A purple skin would be, like, fine with me. But, like, a light lavender like that? Sure. Why not? He's sun bleached. Okay. You know, if he was in the if he was in the underdark his whole life, he would he would look like Guinevere. But he chose to live in the sun, and that means that he is bleached. I don't know. I don't have an answer. I maybe maybe I've been misreading these books and reading when they say dark elf, and I feel like they talk about how he has black skin. I feel like that happens. I swear that happened in this section. Whatever. I'm looking up dark elf skin right now. Five recipes. Four. 
according to this uh, palette face, you can have all different shades. There you go. Why not? I don't know. Whatever. Um, so, uh, you want to get to the next thing, or have anything else to say about that? I don't have anything else to say about that. That brings us to... Part 5, Sojourn. Summary. And we end on a sour note because these, quote, parts are awful. <laughs> Basically, Future Dritz informs us that Pat's Dritz wandered around for a while approaching various cities and settlements only to receive instant rejection. And so the younger Drow would fantasize about a village or town where the people would allow him guarded entry and eventually accept him as one of their own, like the Deep Knowns did in Blingdenstone. Yep. I got nothing. Yep. Well, I'm still, I'm, I'm still ever the optimist, foolishly holding out hope that this is all. R. A. Salvatore discovered that he can't write prequels. Yeah, and that the next three books and the subsequent thirty are fantastic because they're all going forward. You know, I hear that these books really age with the reader. Oh yeah, yeah. Like okay, they well, get better as they go, and okay. as you grow with them. Sure. Yeah. No. I well then I can't wait. <laughs> he'll, he'll really come into his own around book twenty nine. Yeah. Um... I wonder. I, I there's no. I don't think there's any way you'd know this, but I wonder if there are any other prequel books where like maybe four through six happen. Seven through nine happen at a later date, and then eleven through twelve are between those two trilogies. Oh, weird! If they jump around like that, or or if it's all just prog- steadily progressing adventures. I mean, you would think after thirty books, he would his writing would get better. Or you would think he would have the perspective of why mess with perfection? I'm a perfect writer. Yeah. I don't know, man. I know that. I know people personally who seem to like this character, seem to like these books. Perhaps I have been in the past accused of being too picky. <laughs> Do they say what they like about him out of curiosity? Uh, you know that they're awesome. I, does he always I'm, have a I'm sassy rejoinder? That. Does he get out of trouble? Does he fight? Does he stand up for what's right? Oh, they're just so great and awesome. <laughs> Drift is so cool. Maybe you should have like an interview with one of your friends who likes him, and we could put we could put that in the next episode. Nah. Okay. I think you're you're overestimating the uh, potential verboseness of a random person who likes us a thing. I'm going to look it up. Why? I'm going to find some reasons. That's my homework. That's interesting. That would be interesting. You you should Google why do people like Dritz? It's exactly what and, I'm writing down. And that would be a really interesting uh, research project to do because, again, like I have my hypothesis. I have my sure. theories about why people like it, and it's very similar to the Harry Potter thing where it's like they, it was one of the first exposures they had to this kind of storytelling. Sure. It imprinted upon them as a impressionable young person and then that itself gives them like warm fuzzy senses of security and 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 good feelings as they continue to read 30 books yep and they can all and unlike someone like you know george r R. martin who can't publish a fucking book in a decade uh this guy's putting out one a year at least oh and that's just a series remember he's got other series right he's like the adventure stephen king like, <laughs> except Stephen King does know how to craft a story. Okay, maybe his endings aren't great, but he does have a narrative thrust. Well, I mean, these have this. This has a narrative. Like these, the, it doesn't the, have a narrative thrust. Well, that narrative what does lays that there. Mean? It means it drives you. You're engaged. You turn the page because you want to know what happens next. No, that's this narrative a, lays no, there. I think you're mixing up a narrative thrust and like an audience appeal. Like the the narrative here, the thrust is Dritz. Drist's existence, like Drist, is searching for a place in the world where he would find like comfort and home. That may be boring, but that's the narrative thrust. All I'm saying is, if I want to be engaged, there better be some thrusting. I'm saying there is. You're just unsatisfied with the thrusting. That's not good. No, this is not thrusting. This is limp noodling. 
I, I think that, again, functionally, in the, in the bare na- notion of what it is doing, it has thrust. <laughs> the, the, the narrative is progressing. Um, it's just... I, I think it's just not to your liking. Mm. Anyway, the... Uh, I, I, I have a curiosity, though, that I wonder if it's maybe... I'm wondering, like, how much of, in this series, these prequel books, these first three, I wonder if they're, like, sort of... Like, we've kind of talked about this before, but, like, in a, in a very specific way, their own thing. Like, I wonder if, because we know that these are leading us up to another thing, that I wonder if eventually Salvatore will write it as like, oh no, this is all very clear leading, like Dritz is very clearly going from this place to this place. Of course he would go here. I'm giving him reason and justification. Or if we'll end up in a situation where it is very episodic, where it's like one book will end and the next book will be like, Dritz is in a completely different place doing something entirely separate. And we're just, we're just there for it. And then we figure out where he's going. I I wonder. I won't say I'm eager to find out. Yeah. But the question's been raised, and I wouldn't mind an answer to it. Yeah. Well, uh, I've got nothing else to say about this. Okay. No new did words? You? Did we do a new word alert last time? Yeah. Okay, then I don't have any new words. I think we did. Wait, I actually might have a new word. Okay. But I think I think it's a new word we've done before, so it just doesn't feel like a new word. Uh, let me find it. Do you remember what the word we did last time was? Yeah, uh, no. Well, was it was it cops? Yep. Okay. Then we did that one. Here's the other one that I found in these chapters. Okay, so I'll start over. Sort of a new word alert. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, here you go. Whale. Whale? Whale. Whale? How do you spell it? W A L E. I'm fairly certain we've had this in this show before, but it's been 110 episodes, so I don't remember. I know we had wheel as like a like a raised welt. No, that's this. That's this. We we've that's... done you think we have done this before. Yes, yeah. because I think you came up with this alter. I'm like I'm like I know what wheel is, but I don't know what whale is. Yeah. To Funny. mark with welts. Um I think they may have used it separately in this in these chapters, though. Um, like I think they used it in one of the other means, like uh, any of a number of of strakes, usually of extra thick and strong planks in the side of a wooden ship, or yeah. a horizontal construct uh, constructional member, as of timber or steel, used for bracing vertical members. So like again, with I think it was probably in like the booby trap uh, chapter. Makes sense. I don't remember. Anyway, uh, I, I definitely enjoyed reading about the vertical members and the booby traps. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you rubbing your face like that? I think you. I think you can pick up from context clues. Why? <laughs> you would um, think that. But lots of more, lots of more people have thought. Lots of more people. Can oh. I could pick up context clues? Man, look at me, it's a me, Montolio. Hey, I'm wailing. Adrezzo, you too skinny, manja. I cannot see your smirk, but I can see. I can see what you're thinking. <laughs> oh my God, he admitted it. Um, all right, this is trash. Next episode, we're going to be finishing this book. So tune in next time for the, uh, book rap party for the sojourn book rap party. Uh, so yeah, uh, next time is going to be just chapter, what? 20 chapter 20 to the end. So, and then we'll be done with the prequel trilogy and we'll be able to discuss our thoughts about the trilogy as a whole, which, yes. if you've actually listened to this episode, you may be able, able to figure out where we're probably going to go uh, with that. But we'll save it for next time. So, in the interim, that was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you.
If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. Yeah, I did not enchant my daughter earlier by singing Goldfinger as Skeletor. Oh, yeah. don't I don't need it, by the way. She, oh, you're not going to get it. Good. I'm like, you know, no other young lady can boast that feature of her home life. And then she clo- mm. sh- slowly closed the door in my face. And she said, but many fathers can relate to the disdain I have for you. I, 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 like, to, I like to center myself. I like to look in the mirror and just from my heart, just tell myself, you bumbling boob! Mm-hmm. Cause it's cause it's Skeletor. Mm-hmm. Cause nah. Mm-hmm. I get the feeling you want to do a Skeletor. <laughs> it's so much fun, and Mark Hamill's certainly not doing it. He is doing it. He's just not I don't know doing what it to he's your doing. satisfaction. No, he's doing the Joker without flesh. Well, I, I feel like there's a chip on your shoulder the size of Castle Grayskull. I'm just saying, I have the power. Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Oh no, you froze. Doesn't matter. Sure it works. It'll be fine. It. I did. Doug, I said it's so good. Froze. Because you wasted your time doing silly froze Christopher Lloyd voices. Mrs. Torrance. See? See, I knew you were the silly voice man. No. 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 <gasps> did Danny grow up to be Emperor Palpatine? Oh, oh, it wasn't just a, it wasn't just a failure of the connection. It was a downright drop, like a hang up. Worst intro ever. Well, I wonder how that's going to begin to correct itself when the time comes to correct itself. Such as now? That work, is it? Not gonna work. Not gonna work. I thought that would work. It can't. It can't work. I thought I could wheel to being the call. If I do that. Oh, there he is. Ah! Alright, let's start over. Let's do it. <laughs>